All right, guys, we are back and we are continuing with our teaching in the book of Genesis. Last time we were here, we looked at chapter 19 with the destruction of Sodom. And we find out that although Lot, as well as his two daughters, were delivered from Sodom, Sodom and all of this immoral and debased thinking of Sodom was not delivered from Lot's two daughters. And thus we have the beginning of the two nations for Ammon and Moab. But nevertheless, we are continuing today with our teaching in the chapter 20 as we look at another failure and it's a very familiar failure of Abraham, okay? What you have to also remember too now, you gotta remember, keep in mind, that God had already appeared to Abraham twice in very recent occurrences, okay? So it wasn't long separated in between one another. And the last time God appeared to Abraham, he had told him that within a year's time, the time from one year from the time of the appearance, Sarah would have a child by Abraham. So the events that are taking place in chapter 20 are in between that time. So Sarah either has not gotten pregnant at this particular time, which means it's very short, is very short from the time that God appeared to Abraham again. Or Sarah is pregnant and is with child, but it's just simply not showing at this time. But nevertheless, the point that we have to understand is, it is very shortly, the events that would take place in chapter 20 occurs very shortly after God appeared to Abraham. Now, why am I saying this? Well, the reason, because when God, first of all, God doesn't appear to everybody that way. Okay, it is a great honor and a privilege for God to appear. And for God to appear to Abraham twice within a, within a year's time, that is a wonderful thing for God to do. So the, what happens is God intends to strengthen first appearance, to strengthen Abraham's faith, second appearance to, to strengthen Sarah's faith. Okay, so, so for Abraham to fail God so quickly, it does speak volume. It says something about Abraham, but not only about Abraham, it says something about us, about us. So don't be so quick to judge Abraham because we are the same. Our faith is strong at times and then our faith can get weak almost overnight. It seems like our faith can evaporate in an instant, but nevertheless, enough of that. Let me get into the text before I get into all of the commentary. All right, chapter 20. Verse one, now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev, the Negev simply is the south, and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned in Gorea. So remember, Abraham is basically a shepherd. Shepherd go from place to place looking for land so that the animals can have pasture, right? Pasture and water, all right? So he's moving now towards the southern tip of the promised land. Notice that he's in Gerar. This Gerar basically is in the land of the Philistines at this particular time. All right. Verse two, Abram said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is married. So 
at, as it happened earlier. Remember, the first time this happened was when Abraham went to sojourn into Egypt. And this, and Abraham lied. It was very deceptive, saying that Sarah was simply and only his sister. And the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, took her as his wife. So we have a repeat scenario of the same thing. Remember again, very soon, Sarah, if she's not pregnant now, she is to get pregnant. And she's supposed to be having the baby soon. And, and God just visited Abraham not long ago. And notice how quickly his faith has faded. Almost, I won't say evaporated. I think that's a, that's a little too strong of a term. But nevertheless, it cannot be denied. His faith is clearly weakened. And that also says something too. God, do you mind if I do a little more commentary on the practical side as well. But it also says something about us, doesn't it? Because we too are just like Abraham. Our faith rises and it falls. It is strong and then it gets weak. And sometimes no sooner after a spiritual experience, because that's exactly what Abraham just had. The visitation of God is a spiritual experience. It is a, we can call it a spiritual high designed to strengthen him. And not long after, he has already fallen into the depths of spiritual lowness. His faith is, has already began to wean and become weakened. The same thing happens to us too. We, we, we have strong days we have weak days and it just simply, and I think this is a teaching lesson that says to us how necessary it is for us to continue and pray. What does Paul say? Pray without ceasing because it's necessary because the flesh is weak. Our faith is sometimes weakened. And let me tell you something, our flesh can be a powerful adversary, but nevertheless, so, he lied that she was his sister. And also too, in verse number two, it says Abimelech. Now Abimelech is not his name. Actually, the word can be broken down in my father is king. That's literally what it means. My father is king in Hebrew, that is. But it is just like Pharaoh. It is the, uh, uh, the name that is given for the ruler. So Abimelech is the name of the ruler. His personal name, proper name, we don't know. But nevertheless, like Pharaoh did, he also took Sarah too. Sarah's still clearly a beautiful woman. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken. She is married. And so now God intervenes on behalf of Abraham. Now, here's what you have to also see too. Underlying all of these events is the covenant that God made with Abraham. And remember that covenant is an unconditional covenant. Once again, an unconditional covenant. That means God has simply made Abraham promises. And that was nothing that was necessary on Abraham's part for him to do in order for God to keep his promise. And so God promised to make Abraham a great nation. And God promised to give Abraham a seed. It was not conditioned on Abraham's obedience. God made this covenant with Abraham. It was God's own choosing, or we use the term election. 
God elected, God chose Abraham and he established this covenant with him. So now what do we see clearly? Abraham is, is acting in disbelief, unbelief of God. God said that he would visit Abraham. So, and God, the, the visit means he would give Abraham the child. So therefore nothing can happen to Abraham until God fulfills his promise. And since the baby has not been born yet, that doesn't happen to the next chapter, chapter 22. Since the baby hasn't been born yet, nothing, no one and nothing can do anything to Abraham. And that's something we always need to remember too, that God is sovereign and God keeps us. And when God chooses to allow something to happen to us, it is because it is the permissive will of God or his hand of discipline. God may be disciplining us, but always remember there is nothing that can happen to you, to me, to any of God's children apart from God's permission. Okay. And any other kind of thinking, Will, will make you like Abraham. It will show a lack of faith. You have to trust God that God will keep you. Remember, that's the same thing that he said to Job. Remember what the devil said? The devil said, I have tried to get Job, but you have this hedge about him. In other words, there is nothing that can happen to God's children unless God permits it. And we should always believe no sickness, no sickness, no death, no nothing. That's why, listen, let me just go ahead and say it this way. That's why the Bible teaches, what did Paul say? I believe it's 1 Thessalonians 5, what, 21? In everything give thanks. In what? Everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is what God wants to happen in your life. This is the journey that God, he wants you to make and he wants you to walk that journey with him in faith, believing and trusting in him. Okay. But anyway, enough of that. So God appeared back to verse number three. So this won't end up being longer than it need be, but it's still a wonderful picture. He appears to Abimelech in a dream and God has to intervene on behalf of Abraham because Abraham is now risking the promises of God. Now we know the promise of God will, nothing can thwart it. Nothing can thwart it, but still it shows the intervention of God on behalf of unbelieving, disbelieving, lack of faith, Abraham. And you know something guys, Abraham has been with the Lord for a considerable amount of time. What does that say? He's been with God for considerable. Faith takes time. Faith is a process of growth. We grow from faith unto faith. It doesn't happen overnight. You're not saved today and got the faith of Abraham, Genesis chapter 22, in that you are able now, you're believing God that you can offer up your son Isaac, believing that God will raise him from the dead. Mm -mm. Abraham got to that point because his faith had to grow. And you know how his faith grew? In his failures, the, the failure that we are looking at right now. Okay, but nevertheless, God intervenes. That's what we're talking about. He intervenes to save, to make certain that nothing can thwart the promise of having a son by Sarah. 
He so he intervenes and tells Abimelech, warns him, and it was a, a pretty tough warning, <laughs> and tell him you're a dead man. Okay, but now let's keep going. And the reason why because the woman is married, and and to act in this way, that is for for Abimelech to take Sarah in a sexual way. Okay, would be and act worthy of death. And you know what's interesting about this too, guys, and I, and I like this too. Abimelech has no idea about these things. We're going to see that. But nevertheless, didn't change anything in God's mind, and it didn't change anything in the program of God. But let's just go on, and we'll put these things together. Verse number four. Now, Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not say himself say to me, she is my sister and she herself said he is my brother in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands. I have done this. And so now Abimelech begins to plead his case and simply say, I had no idea the woman was married. He told me, Abraham told me himself, she's my sister. And then I verified it with the woman. And you know what she said? Well, they, yeah, that's my brother, just like he said. So I had no earthly idea that the woman was married, Lord. So are you going to kill me and punish me for that? Verse number six. Then God said to him in the dream. Yes, I know. Notice, notice that, guys. I know. I know that in the integrity of your heart, you have done this. And I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you will not restore her, know that you shall surely die and all who are yours. So let's go back. So now. After he pleads his case to God, and, and of course, God knew that he didn't know any better, per se. That is, Abimelech didn't know any better that this woman was married, that Sarah was married. God says to him, I know and I understand that you didn't intend to do any wrong. You didn't, you meant no harm by this. But notice what God said. But nevertheless, I kept you from sinning against me. Isn't that interesting the way that God spoke that by Abimelech taking Sarah sexually, that is, because once he took her for, he brought her into his harem. All right. He brought her into the harem. Once the sex would happen, that would be the sinning against God, like, kind of like becoming his wife or one of his Abimelech's handmaidens. Okay or concubines, all right? But the point is, God said that it would still be sin against him even though Abimelech was completely unaware. Isn't that interesting? Whether he knew it or not, it is still sin. And you, you know how oftentimes we say ignorance of the law is no excuse. Clearly here, God is saying your ignorance... <laughs> Abimelech would not be an excuse, but nevertheless, God showed him what God said, but I still, because you were ignorant, you didn't know any better. I displayed mercy towards you by not allowing you to sleep with her, come near her. So God 
I don't know what God did, but God put something in him, in his mind or whatever that made him not want to take Sarah to bed for that time until God came to him in this divine visitation by virtue of a dream. Okay, so let's go on. In verse number seven, God says, he tells him, okay, what you do is restore Abraham's wife to him. And he calls Abraham a prophet. The word is Navi. That's the word in Hebrew, a Navi. And this is the first time that this, is, this word prophet is ever used in the Bible. This is the first occurrence of that word. And the prophet is simply one who receives direct revelation from God. That is the meaning of a prophet. One who receives direct revelation from God. And clearly with all those divine uh, visitations that Abraham had with God and those conversations God has had with Abraham, clearly that qualifies him as a prophet. One who has received revelation directly from the mouth of God himself. Okay. And not even in a dream, sometimes just personal visitations. But so he calls him a prophet and he says that Abraham will pray for him and that he would live. So notice there is a death sentence pronounced upon Abimelech and a curse upon Abimelech. Now this once again reflects back to that same covenant that God made with Abraham. And a part of that covenant promise was what? I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who who curse you. So Abimelech is already experiencing the outworking of the curse. That is because he has sinned against God, acted in this way against Abraham, the one under God's covenant, the one under God's covenant, because he has done this. The curse has already come upon him. Okay. So he promises he says, tells him, instructs him, restore him or else he would die. But notice something else too, guys, that this curse of the covenant envelops his whole household, you and all who are yours. So the punishment that has come upon Abimelech for his sin against God, even though it's a sin in ignorance, is not just one that he will suffer. That's an interesting thing, isn't it, guys? That's an interesting concept, a wonderful principle. And I would love to talk about it now, but I, but I won't. And we see that several, several places throughout the Old Testament. And it teaches a principle of God, a principle of authority. But I just said I wouldn't go into that, didn't I? <laughs> but it is interesting, isn't it, that God promises that judgment comes not only on Abimelech who did the sin, but all who are under his authority. Okay, but let's go on. Eight, what were the effects of the dream God's dream God, to Abimelech? Abimelech arose early in the morning and called his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were greatly greatly frightened. So clearly he believed God in the dream and he called his service no soon as he woke up and began. These were probably his counselors and told them what God had said to him in the dream. Nine. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said, now let's look at the rebuke that the, uh, I don't know whether to say unrighteous, 
I think I don't think Abimelech is as we would call it saved because I don't think he has a revelation of God. He just simply has a fear of God that God has put into his heart by virtue of the dream. But nevertheless, Abraham is the one who knows God and has a relationship with God. Nevertheless, he is the one that is Abraham is the one who is going to be rebuked by an unbeliever. And that's the sad part about this story. Abraham's rebuke by an unbeliever. Nine, then Abimelech called to Abraham and said to him, what have I done to, what have, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what have you encountered? That is, what have you seen here that you have done this thing? So he asked him three questions. What reason, what have you done? What have I done? What have you done to us? What have I done to you? And what have you seen in my kingdom that would provoke you to act in this manner to bring such a grievous sin and judgment by your God unto us? What have I done? So here is the beginning of the rebuke of Abraham. And you can imagine as Abraham is standing in front of Abimelech and as my mother used to say, looking like a fool in the face and can't really say anything to justify what he has done by this pagan king. But let us continue. Abraham said, verse number 11, because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came about when God calls me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show me everywhere we go say of me he is my brother and so abraham finally gives a lame excuse <laughs> and says well the reason why i did what i did was because i thought you people did not fear god in other words that they would act in an unscrupulous manner and kill him so that they could possess take possession of his wife Okay. And so he continues to tell that she is actually his sister. And here's this place in the scripture where we find out that Sarah was Abraham's half sister. She, he, they both have the same father, but they have different mothers and Abraham married his half sister. Okay. And so they made a deal and this was the deal that they made seemingly and that's the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, the beginning of chapter 12, when God has spoken to Abraham initially to depart from his father's house into the land that God will show me. It seems that Abraham right then, when he knew that he would begin to wonder, oh, as God would lead him, that is, he made a pact with Sarah and he said, okay, people are going to probably want to kill me because you're a beautiful woman and they're going to want to possess you. So you just tell everybody that you're my sister so that I can live. And they made this agreement early on. All right. And so this was basically the agreement that they made. And this was the lame excuse. The point is this, 
even though it was true she was being his sister, it was still deceitful because he was, he was warning Abimelech as well as Pharaoh to think that she was only his sister when indeed she was so much more. She was his wife, which would make it a violation for those men to have Sarah, okay? So Abraham wasn't telling a half truth. It was a lie because it was deceitful and it was intending to deceive. That's the very idea of a lie. A lie is the intent to deceive, not a mistake, not a half truth, intending to make somebody think something that's not altogether the truth. All right. So that was his lame excuse. He was just rebuked by Abimelech. And now let's wrap this thing up. All right. 14. Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his stored his wife, Sarah, to him. Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. So in direct, and I'm going to stop there because we're going to just keep it directed to Abraham at this particular time. So Abimelech blesses Abraham. Keep in mind the Abrahamic covenant. I bless those who bless you. All right. That's going to play a role in the very end of this chapter as well. So, and also too, for any inconvenience that Abimelech may have caused Abraham. He kind of, he compensates him for the inconvenience, even though he is innocent, even though Abimelech is innocent. He had no idea that Sarah was his wife. He had no idea, but nevertheless, to make everything right with Abraham, he blesses him again. And notice you see Abraham, remember Abraham was already wealthy. Now he's even richer. He even gains more richness. So he gives them sheep, oxen, as well as slaves, male and female slaves. And also he gave Sarah back to Abraham. He said, here, take your wife. And then he even blesses him with the invitation. Remember Pharaoh, after Abraham did that number with him, Pharaoh sent Abraham out back into uh, the land of promise. But here, the uh, Philistine king invites Abraham to settle wherever he wants to in the land. So he, he was very open to Abraham and, and truly God will bless him for his gesture. Remember, I bless those who bless you. All right, now let's turn to Abimelech's uh, upbraiding of Sarah, okay? Final verses. To Sarah, verse number 16, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you and before all men you are cleared. Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wounds of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. All right, so finally, 
he rebukes Sarah. That is, Abimelech rebukes Sarah. Notice what he says. Behold, I've given your brother. Since you said he was your brother, then fine. Let's go along with that foolishness too. Your brother, like you said, but I've given him a thousand pieces of silver. So here we have further a revelation. Remember, at first he said he gave Abraham what the oxen and the sheep and the slaves and also a thousand pieces of silver. He compensates Abraham for whatever misdeeds he might have committed against Abraham. And then he says to Sarah, by this, that is by all that he has done with the oxen and, and the stuff that he has given to Abraham and the thousand pieces of silver, he says, I am vindicated in this manner. Vindicated, that is, I'm clear of this. Any wrong that I may have done to Abraham or to you, I'm clear because number one, I didn't even know he was your husband. You guys lied to me. And number two, I've compensated you for any grievances that you could even possibly have against me. And he basically sent them on their way. But before he did, he, Abraham had to pray. No, and you know, what's also interesting guys, and I'm going to slow it down a little bit. Isn't it interesting that Abraham is the wrongdoer? He is the wrongdoer in this whole thing. He lied to Abimelech. He got all of this mess started, but nevertheless, even though he was disobedient, Abraham, God maintained his covenant relationship with Abraham. And notice, Abraham remained in his relationship with God. God didn't disavow Abraham. God didn't throw Abraham away. God didn't say to Abraham, I have nothing else to do with you. God maintained his covenant with Abraham. Same thing with us today, guys. We have a covenant with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is an unbreakable covenant for all who profess faith in Jesus as a Messiah. God has an unbreakable covenant with you. And like Abraham, and, and here's the thing. There are times just like Abraham when, and see, see, when I say faith, when I say faith, it doesn't simply means to disbelieve God, but the really outworking, the outworking of unbelief or lack of faith yields itself in disobedience. Notice what I said. The outworking, that means the evidence. How do you know when you are not having faith or not believing God or how does God relate to it? It's basically related or works itself out in disobedience. Now, what am I trying to say? It's very simple. We are God's children. We have an unbreakable covenant with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through what Jesus did on the cross, through our faith in him. And God has adopted us into his family. And even though there are times when we ourselves can be disobedient, we do. That's why Jesus tells us when you pray, do what? Say, forgive us our sin. Now, Jesus is not talking about when sinners pray. No, no. Sinners, the, the prayer for sinners is to come to Jesus in faith. L let me slow that down so you guys will get it right. The prayer of a sinner, of, of a person who is not saved at all, is simply to confess that Jesus is the Messiah, to believe that. 
If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and what else? Believe in your heart that God has re resurrected him from the dead. You are saved. Now you are brought into you are brought into a covenant relationship with God through Jesus. That's what I mean by all of that. OK, so now you're in the family of God. So when Jesus was saying when he was teaching the disciples how to pray, notice what I said. He was not teaching sinners how to pray, but the disciples how to pray. That is people who are already saved. He said he commanded us to repent, say, forgive us of our sins. So what's the point? My whole point is this. Like Abraham, notice some, he's, he's not doing well. He's disobedient. That's that. That's the outworking of his unbelief. It shows itself in his disobedience. He has failed God here. He's not doing well at all. But nevertheless, God maintains his covenant with Abraham. And all I'm saying for that is this. We too find ourselves sometimes lacking faith. We too find ourselves sometimes doing things that are contrary against the will of God. We are disobedient to the word of God. That's why 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, what the we? The we ain't the world. The we is the saints. The we is the saints. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a prayer that restores fellowship. This restores fellowship. This is not the prayer of salvation. It's the prayer that bring, that makes us and God all right again. And by all right, God says, we say, okay, okay, we, we can, we can still talk now. And my spirit can be okay with you. You're not disturbing the spirit of God. Remember the Bible said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you. Okay. So we grieve the Holy Spirit in acts of disobedience, in acts of disbelief. But the point that I'm trying to drive home through all of this is God still holds. We have an unbreakable covenant with our God. And no matter how awful we can be, God still loves those who are truly his. Now notice what I said. Those who are truly here, the Bible says in a great house, there are many different types of vessels, some to honor and some to dishonor. And again, what does Paul say? The Lord knows those who are truly his. Therefore, let everyone who names the G, the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So if you are saved, act like you saved, live like you're saved. Believe and trust God. All right, God, I went a long way around that, but let me draw this thing to a close. Abraham had to intervene, had to pray for Abimelech. And that's why, again, we see God also referring to him as what? Navi, as a prophet. And when God, when he prayed for Abimelech, God healed Abimelech, which meant that the curse was already upon Abimelech and noticed the blessing of God. The blessing was to open up the, the womb of his wives and his concubines. So he were able to have children again. And that's when we see the blessing of God. Even children, we say, are a blessing from God. All right, guys, 
Thanks for joining me on that. And I really hope that you got something from that latter part about that covenant relationship that God had with Abraham. And to always remember, it is on the basis of God's person and his nature that he established that covenant with Abraham. God has not changed. He also has, by his own nature, establishes a like relationship with us today. In other words, what did Jesus say? Jesus said that all that the Father has given unto me shall come unto me. And you know what? Nobody can take them out of my hand. Nobody can take them from the hand of the fathers. That which he has given to me, I will keep them. Who will you keep? Every one of them. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me on that one. Catch you next time. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe.